Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about opening our eyes to a new view of life. I hope you're having a great day. You know, there's so much to enjoy and be grateful for in life. And the way we approach each day can and does affect our mood, decision-making, and the courage we use in pursuing our purpose in life. And that's why we all need a little positive perspective to get our day started right. And that's why I listen to podcasts. And I hope the reason that you listen to this podcast, Open Your Eyes. Don't ever doubt the power of setting your mind right each day. It has a lasting impact. So today, I hope you hear something that can help you get a better view of your place in the world and how you can live to your potential. And when you're done listening today, if you find some good ideas here, be sure to share this podcast with a friend. They may just need what you find here today. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about the answer to this question. Are you all in? Now, if you consider the last two centuries, what book has been the best-selling book, fiction or nonfiction, over time? Well, it's Charles Dickens. His book, A Tale of Two Cities, has sold an estimated 200 million copies. Interestingly, number three on that list of all-time books sold is Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. And if you consider the entire Harry Potter series, all books combined sold in total 500 million copies, and it is the best-selling book series of all time. On the list of the top 100 books of all time include Where the Wild Things Are, the famous children's book, the fiction thriller Angels and Demons, which sold 40 million copies, and Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which sold 25 million copies. But if you look at just the last two decades, the best-selling books include The Hunger Games and The Help. But on that list is Malcolm Gladwell's book, The Tipping Point. When the author, Malcolm Gladwell, was writing for The New Yorker, he wanted to mine current academic research for insights and inspiration. And in doing so, he wrote two articles that got the attention of the readers, The Tipping Point and The Cool Hunt. These articles, because of their popularity, led him to write his book under the same name. And as you may know, the premise of the book, The Tipping Point, is that in many things in life, where people or movements or business rise to become remarkable, there is a moment of critical mass, the threshold, a boiling point, when momentum takes hold. Now, can you think of any recent examples of this principle? Well, there are quite a few. In January of 2021, we saw a tipping point of immense proportion take place in the stock market, something we haven't seen happen with individual investors at its level ever before. Here's what happened. Headquartered in Grapevine, Texas, is the largest video game retailer in the world, with over 4,200 retail stores worldwide. Its name? GameStop. Around 2010, the way consumers purchased and used video games changed as online technology changed. And many gamers shifted to smartphones away from going to retail stores to get video games. And this started to impact GameStop revenue. At the same time, GameStop started purchasing competitors. They purchased EB Games, Rhino, Micromania, Radio Shack, and more. And by 2018, GameStop was posting its biggest losses in history. In 2019, the company started closing stores. 
With the impact of COVID, GameStop took one hit after another. And no wonder by 2020, the largest hedge funds on Wall Street were shorting GameStop stock. You see, when you buy a stock, you're betting the stock will increase in value. When you bet against a stock, you believe the stock's value is going to go down and you can short the stock. It works like this. To short a stock, you borrow a stock whose price you think is going to go down and you sell it on the open market. Your plan then is to buy the same stock back later at a lower price and replace the original share of stock that you borrowed. For example, let's say a stock is trading at $50 a share. You borrow a share and sell it for $50. The price suddenly declines to $25 a share, at which point you purchase a share to replace the one you borrowed, netting the $25 gain. Well, as GameStop started to decline in sales and profits, more and more Wall Street funds shorted the stock. So much so that the number of shares that were shorted equaled 140% of all the shares outstanding. This means a lot of investors were betting against the stock. At the same time, online forums such as Reddit and Wall Street Bets featured posts by several influencers talking about GameStop. They started to teach their listeners about a concept called a short squeeze. A short squeeze works like this. If in GameStop's situation, for example, a large number of investors started buying the stock, that demand would force the price of the stock up. And as the stock price rises, those Wall Street hedge funds who shorted or bet against the stock would have to buy shares to replace their short. So as the price rises, the short stock owners are squeezed to have to buy shares, and that additional demand for the stock drives up the price even more. Well, as the Reddit and Wall Street Bets bloggers learned more about a short squeeze, the more they started to band together and buy GameStop stock. At the same time, Ryan Cohen, a former CEO of Chewy, purchased a 9% ownership in GameStop. This was huge news to the online forums, thinking that somehow he knew something no one else knew. So everyone jumped in and purchased GameStop. These major influencers working from their basements all over the country were taking large positions in GameStop, buying $100,000 or $200,000 worth of stock at a time. Well, at its low on January 11th, GameStop had a stock price of $19.94. On January 27th, the price had risen to $347. In this meteoric rise, hedge funds who shorted the stock were forced to buy replacement shares for their short positions, and they lost over $6 billion. Conversely, thousands of everyday online investors made millions. You heard people say over and over again in these forums, I'm all in. What does that mean? Well, it means that they reached a point where they no longer doubted that GameStop would increase in value, and they invested all they had behind the proposition. Now, most of these individual investors were using a new online stock trading program called Robinhood. Robinhood made a few cents on every trade. On January 11th, 14 million GameStop shares were traded. On January 27th, almost 200 million shares were traded. So Robinhood was making a lot of money on trades. As the stock price went up, so did the fervor and excitement around the stock. Now, nothing at GameStop, the company, had changed. They were still closing stores and not doing well operationally, 
but the stock price was rising independent of the performance of the company. Well, after several weeks, many individual investors cashed out and Robinhood could no longer back the number of trades happening and the stock price eventually came down. As of today, GameStop is trading at $27 per share. Nonetheless, here's the point. The stock reached a tipping point, a critical mass, a boiling point. And when people were all in, the value of GameStop increased. Now, I've seen examples of this throughout my life. Tipping points in which things come together to create a sense of momentum that is driven by the energy involved. Sarah Blakely's product, Spanx, hit a tipping point. Tesla has hit a tipping point. And there are dozens of other examples. Now, what about your business? Is the tipping point possible? And if so, how do you get your team all in? What about your life? How do you get to the point personally where you are all in? Well, to begin, let's talk a minute about why we're not all in in our life. Because when something isn't working, it's good to discover why it isn't working. Carl Jung was a Swiss psychiatrist who founded analytical psychology. He was a student of Sigmund Freud and contributed to identifying and naming psychological types, including introversion and extroversion. And Jung himself was horribly introverted. Unlike Freud, who at times was focused almost exclusively on theories related to libido, for example, Jung was interested in how we form our core personality. He believed personality is developed from a number of sources and motives. Now, while psychology has moved well beyond much of Jung's work today, some of his insights remain remarkably relevant. For example, Jung explored the concept of our shadow self. Now, in saying shadow self, you may think it is the dark side of our personality, and that wouldn't be accurate. It's better described as the blind spot of our psyche, meaning the things that make up our persona that we're not aware of or fully consider or in our conscious thought. Our shadow selves might hold guilt, emotions, or thoughts that may be difficult to accept. And what we hold in our shadow self is not always bad. Jung believed that positive traits could be held in this shadow, particularly if they were repressed or invalidated by others, causing us to disregard those things. Now, what might be an example of my shadow self? Well, one of my shadow traits is that I'm highly motivated by task and finishing work. This, no doubt, goes back to my childhood, to parents who praised us when tasks were done and who were task-oriented people themselves. And as a child, there was often conflict and lots of attention paid to work and jobs that were accomplished. In my life, it's obvious that from time to time, my subconscious need to do and finish tasks interferes with my people relationships, meaning I have more peace in working and doing than sitting and talking. And my wife has wisely reminded me over the years to stop taking direction from my shadow self and work on being the type of people person I should be. Well, Jung believed that one of the best things we can do is work toward accepting and integrating the shadows in our life, rather than continuing to ignore them or reject them. That way, we find real peace when we understand how our blind spots drive us, and that helps us be congruent in life. In fact, I believe to be all in, to create the full momentum in our life and arrive at the person we know we can be, 
we can come to understand our blind spots and begin to align our behavior accordingly. For example, for years, I felt my task orientation was a weakness. But when I brought that blind spot out of the shadow and took a look at it, I realized that I could add to it skills to be caring and effective with people. And I worked at the people-person part of my persona. Now, I'm still not the best in the world, but I'm much better. And now, the unique combination of being driven by work, yet able to put that drive on hold for people, is a huge blessing in my life. In short, I'm all in on how I work and deal with people because I see my shadow self and my conscious choices of behavior. And for the most part, except when I forget or I'm overly stressed, this harmony gives me peace. Now, the same goes for you. To be all in often requires what some psychologists call shadow work. In short, shadow work is bringing those blind or disregarded parts of you to light through awareness, like opening your eyes, and curiosity and intention. And you, like me, may notice patterns or themes that keep showing up in your life, like my being very driven by work and accomplishment. And when you see those patterns, be curious rather than judging the feeling. Don't condemn yourself, but see how to help your shadow self improve. Now, for serious shadow work, it may need the help of a professional, but the everyday shadow work you and I can do. And it's an important part of being all in in life. Now, there are a lot of ways to do this, but in my opinion, to be all in, it requires you embrace your shadow self. Just like my work to integrate tasks and people is driving motives in my life, you may have to integrate opposing or different motives to help you as well. In other words, turn your shadow self to your advantage, and with the shadow self on your side working for you rather than against you, you will have more congruence and be all in in life. As Jung wrote, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. You know, when you say, it's just the way I am, right? One of the reasons I named this podcast Open Your Eyes is I have the hope that by bringing a new view and a little bit of understanding to the forefront in our daily life, we might see the blind spots in our lives, bring them to light, and find more happiness. And here's the thing. Sometimes such self-work, such shadow work, will knock us around a little bit, and it can be uncomfortable. There's a story of a farmer who sold his mule and plow to a neighbor. The farmer promised that, unlike most mules, this one was very obedient. But in no time at all, the neighbor brought the mule back, and he was furious. Obedient, he yelled. What are you kidding? I can't get that stubborn beast to do a single darn thing he doesn't want to do. Uh-huh, said the farmer calmly. Let me show you something. He picked up a two-by-four and whacked the mule along the side of the head, after which the mule began obediently pulling the plow. See what I'm saying, he told his neighbor? That mule's very obedient. You just have to get his attention first. Sometimes to be all in, in our life, we need to get our own attention. For example, let's say I want to lose weight, but I keep eating desserts. I want to get into shape, but rarely work out. I want to improve my relationship with my kids, but I don't find time for quality interaction with them. For many of us, as we think about what we are not doing that we should be doing, 
we stress, feel guilty, and push those feelings down. These feelings lead to negative self-talk or subconsciously rejecting parts of ourselves. So here's what I've learned, and I have to relearn this in my life all the time. Every time I have a thought about something I should do but I'm not doing, my thoughts don't get to vote, meaning I can think it. But in my personal economy, thoughts count for nothing. They don't get a vote. So I literally say to myself, you can think all you want to, but thoughts don't vote. So if thoughts don't get a vote, who or what does? Actions. Only actions vote. Literally, actions get to vote. So if it's working out tomorrow, the only thing that counts is action. And the truth is, if you want to get into shape and are not exercising, then you really don't want to get into shape. If you say you want to build a successful business, but don't do the activities to make that happen, you really don't want to have that kind of business. So to be all in, we have to work on our wants, our aspirations. So how do you do that? How do you work on your aspirations? Well, the first answer is really, really imagine and come to understand what you truly want and why you want it. In 2003, four comedic actors and writers got together to work on a screenplay. And one writer had been a joke writer for Bob Hope. Another had written for Saturday Night Live and another was a successful actor. And the screenplay they all got together and wrote was about a news reporter in Buffalo, New York. This reporter wanted to be the news anchorman. And when he's passed over for promotion by his rival, Bruce Nolan has an on-air tantrum that leads to his firing. Bruce blames God. And in answer to a prayer by Bruce's girlfriend, God reveals himself to Bruce and endows him with his own power. Bruce then begins a series of events to use that almighty power for his own benefit, including seducing his girlfriend, beating up bullies on the block, becoming rich and famous, and so forth. Now, in the script of the film, Bruce Nolan gets a page from God, and in the script, he actually reads the numbers out loud. And Jim Carrey, who's playing Bruce Nolan, when he's filming the script, uses an actual number of a person named Don Jenkins instead of the fake number that was in the script. And Don received about 20 calls per day after the release of the movie from people calling to talk to God. Perhaps the funniest scene is when Bruce Almighty, through his newly found divine powers, causes the news anchor Evan Baxter, played by Steve Carroll, to be mind-controlled and completely wigs out on air in front of the television audience. This was Steve Carroll's first major film role and would launch his career. Well, in the story, after all his efforts to use his godly powers, Bruce soon learns that being God isn't all that easy. At one point, after trying to answer all the prayers ringing in his head each day, Bruce rages at God, who's played by Morgan Freeman, about unanswered prayers. Bruce had decided every prayer will get a yes from heaven, only to see chaos ensue. And he whines to God, why are they so unhappy? Talking about the people who had all their prayers answered. I gave them everything they wanted. To which God replies, since when do people know what they want? Ah, there it is. You see, we don't always know what we want. That's why it's important to be all in to work on your wants, your aspirations. It's not automatic. To be all in, you have to know your aspirations. What does that look like? Well, let's say you want to get into shape. To build your aspirations, perhaps you need to read about getting into shape. 
Listen to stories of those who have paid the price to do so. Get more understanding. Get curious. Seek inspiration. And when you do, you will find it will empower your action muscles. When you envision being in shape in that way, you add more power. You become all in. Next, get all things leaning in your favor. Your alarm clock, your gym membership, your clothes, your agenda, your workout plan, the people you work out with, the fun music you play while you work out, the mindset of joy you purposefully adopt, and more. You can see, if you work on your aspirations and get things leaning in your favor, you will be more likely to act, and that's when voting really takes place. Rudyard Kipling was an English novelist and writer who's most famous for writing The Jungle Book. And in 1907, he was awarded the Nobel Prize in Literature. In fact, he was the first English-language writer to receive the prize. Having grown up in Bombay, India, and educated in Britain, he returned to India to become a reporter for a local newspaper. There, his stories about India got the attention of readers. And after getting married, he and his wife took a honeymoon to the U.S. and stayed. In Vermont, in a small cabin, the first pages of the Jungle Books came to his mind. He said, It chanced that I had written a tale about a boy who had been brought up by wolves. Soon the pen took charge and I began to write stories about Mowgli and animals, which later grew into the two Jungle Books. Now, in that writing, Kipling would famously write this, The strength of the pack is the wolf, and the strength of the wolf is the pack. You see, both your actions and your aspirations, like the wolf and the pack, must be aligned. Actions grow aspiration, and aspiration grows action. That's how we get all in. Now, what other things keep us from being all in? Well, there's this thing I call the fuzzy front end. I borrow this phrase from the tech world and innovation process. You see, many tech innovations start with a fuzzy front end in the process. And many innovations can't get past the fuzzy front end. The term was first used by innovation scientists to describe the fuzzy zone between the time when you see the opportunity and when you devote a serious effort to the opportunity. And when you want to speed up innovation, you've got to speed up the fuzzy front end. But too often, companies front load everything before they start to act. They must have all the specifications or requirements engineered perfectly before effort begins. And the problem is that too many companies wait for less uncertainty or perfect clarity before launching, and this causes them to miss the market, let other products take market share, and so forth. But a lot of companies, like General Motors, have employed front-end processes to make the fuzzy front-end faster. They get perspectives from needed departments faster. They purposefully gather needed information faster. And they are fast to identify the problem. Nobel Prize winner Herbert Simon said, problem solving involves not only searching for the alternatives, but the search for the problem itself. So today's best innovative companies know how to manage the front end of innovation quickly and effectively. Now, the same goes for you and me. We often get stuck on the fuzzy front end of things. And as a result, we're never all in. You see, we wait for inspiration, for clarity to come, rather than actively gathering relevant data and forcing ourselves to consider options more quickly by asking questions and working in the uncertainty of the front end. 
As a result, we wait and hope that clarity will come. And as Vince Lombardi said, hope is not a strategy. For example, let's say you want to relaunch your business or make a change in your family culture. And if you're like most people, you feel nervous about doing so and want to do it right because when you don't, it hurts when people criticize. So most of us wait. We say, I need to think about how to organize the relaunch or I want the best timing possible. And as a result, the start is really fuzzy. However, to be all in, we can get organized on the front end. We can talk to someone who's relaunched before. We can get their steps of action. We can ask questions of our team, be biased to seek clarity quickly, and have faith to get started. Because if you hang out in the fuzzy front end very long, you tend to stay there and never get to a tipping point in your mental and emotional momentum. And sometimes it will require that you learn from early mistakes. Here's how author Paul Smith put it. In 1995, Mike was a tank platoon leader in the U.S. Army, and his platoon was preparing to conduct war games, complete with real tanks in a real field, but with simulated weapons. So it was basically a game of laser tag with tanks. The tanks were equipped with laser sensors on the side, as well as sirens, and an emergency whoopee light on top that identified a tank that had been shot. The exercise required them to charge 10 miles to the center of a wide battlefield to engage and destroy the opposing force. And as fate would have it, Mike was commanding the lead tank of the lead platoon of the lead company of the battalion in the brigade combat team. So he would literally be the first tank among 400 going into battle in a wedge formation on his side of the field. Now, during the planning phase, Mike and his commanding officer assessed the map of the field. And there were several hills, and they decided on one particular pass between two hills that would be the safest and fastest route. But when the exercise started, Mike's tank sped towards the enemy as planned. But a battlefield rarely looks like it does on a map, especially when you're looking at it through the tiny opening in the hatch while moving 40 miles per hour and being shot at. When they approached the hills, Mike wasn't sure which way to go. So he had a decision to make. Option one, he could stop the tank, pull out the map, and figure out the right way to go. But the tanks were in a tight formation, and all of the tanks would have to stop along with him. That would leave them sitting in the open, subject to enemy fire. Option two, he could make an educated guess, keep moving forward, and take his chances. Well, Mike chose option two. He yelled out, driver, go left, take the left pass. And less than a minute after his tank turned left, his whoopee light and siren told Mike that he'd made the wrong choice. His tank and crew were now dead and disabled. A few seconds later, the light on his wingman's tank started to flash, followed by the light on the third tank. But the fourth tank and the other 396 vehicles in the battalion saw what happened, realized it was the wrong decision, and all of them headed right and flooded through the correct pass and defeated the opposing battalion on the other side. Here's the point. All in sometimes requires an educated guess and pressing forward with that guess. And if you've decided to make a change, don't wait for perfect clarity. The benefit of action is that you will be all in, and the power of all in often outweighs the perfect path. Last. To be all in, center on what is most important. 
The scripture says, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Now, over my life, this scripture has come to my mind more than once. What am I pursuing or working for? Is it what matters most? As Stephen Covey said, it doesn't matter how fast you climb the ladder if the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. When it's something that matters most, you have your heart. And with your heart, you can recruit all of your mind. And then with your heart and mind comes the all-in part, your might and strength. And I know for me, when I'm about doing something that matters deeply, all other things, including the fuzzy front end and other distractions, are easily put aside. It's easy to say no to less important things when you have a big yes in front of you. You know, there's an old anecdote about being all in. You've likely heard it, but it applies. It's about a chicken and a pig at breakfast. The chicken has contributed the egg and is therefore merely interested in the breakfast. The pig, however, contributes the bacon and is thus all in. And the same goes for you and me. So as you approach this day and this week, ask yourself, what is the one thing I must do to grow me or my business or bless my children or any other good and noble thing that's in front of you? And when you decide what that one thing is, go all in. If you do, you'll be surprised how many times today the thought will come to your mind, am I all in? Or is this what I'm doing now, all in behavior? And it will help you create a tipping point of mood and momentum that can bring yourself, your full self, your boldest self to your current challenges. And the same goes for your team. Help them get all in. Then decide the one thing that will help your team the most. And together, do that one thing like a pig who's contributed bacon to breakfast. Remember, Get information quickly and move through the fuzzy front end of your decisions as fast as you can. Learn from your choices quickly, and you'll find that being all in brings more joy and happiness to you and your team than you thought. Most of all, thanks for being here today. And don't forget to share this podcast with a friend. And join us next week for another podcast as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become.